Hey, this that Eastside Johnny Big Redemption life. No, I'm talking about. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Monday, December the 23rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the Victory Monday edition, I should say, of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins defeat the Bengals 38-35 to in an overtime thriller, and we're taking a departure today from the normal Monday recap podcast as Kevin Dern and myself were there live at Hard Rock Stadium for the action from the press box and in the locker room. We'll get you guys the key takeaways takeaways from this game, assess the team going forward, and update the NFL draft order. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review once you are there. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL Voted, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. Follow my buddy Kev at KevinMD4 and check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the post-game recap. And as we do daily, we have a ton to get to on the podcast here. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we're taking a departure from the normal five takeaways and individual performance recap on this week's podcast because Kevin and myself were at the press box at Hard Rock Stadium for this victory on Sunday. And Kev, we're going to start here with Brian Flores's message, and it starts from the question that I asked Flores in the post-game press conference. I wanted to make a note about how many guys, as they have now played 82 players on this Dolphins team, how many guys they've been able to overturn on this roster and get immediate production from guys that have been here for seven or maybe 10 days, maybe three weeks, and he just continues to pass the buck and praise the coaching staff and the players for their work, and it's all about this learning mentality. We talked about this back in January when the Dolphins had their coaching search. A lot of the guys on that coaching search list had the same qualities in that they were good teachers that could teach you the fundamentals of the game and they were throwback football coaches that wore whistles around their necks, stopped by each position group and taught guys how to play the game, how to fix their technique and get them in the right frame of mind. And we go back beyond that to his time in New England when he was a scout starting out, coaching on the offensive side of the ball, coaching on the football, or on the defensive side of the football, I should say. And we'd heard about Brian Flores in that Adam Schefter podcast way back in the winter, how he mentioned that the first task Belichick gave him in his early time in New England was managing the transaction board and how you have to get every single detail right because being wrong with one or 20 is the same difference. You're always going to be wrong. And from that, Flores has told us that his ability to scour the waiver wire was learned early on there in New England and that's what he's doing here in Miami overturning this roster and finding guys that fit what they need on this football team and finding guys that are worthy of being Miami Dolphins football players guys that show up and work and are dedicated and can adapt to the scheme can can play multiple positions and do everything for this team and the reason we start with this Kev is because of one guy who was just flat-out dominant. You and I sat there in the press box and talked about him all game long, and we just kept saying, there he is again. There's Zach Sealer. And so, Kev, I want to know, what did you see from Zach Sealer in this game? The six foot six, 300-pound, plays everyone on the defensive line. What did you see from this guy? Yeah, he had a fantastic game. Uh, three solo tackles, four assists, a sack, a tackle for loss, and knocked down two passes at the line of scrimmage. He was everywhere. And I think it kind of speaks to the ability of not only the coaching staff being able to teach these guys quickly 
You know, he, he told us he has been on the team for, what, two weeks now? You know, but for these guys to be able to come in and pick up the scheme and want to learn and want to, and I hate to borrow from the Patriot way, but want to do their job and, and do it well. Um, you know, he was everywhere. He was able to line up. He played the run well. He uses his hands well. He has great leverage for a guy who's 6'6". Uh, just a really impressive day from him today. And when you see him, you mentioned the length and the hands and the fact that he does play with heavy hands. That was Patrick Graham's buzzword all off season. You see him lock out and really be able to extend and get the initial punch and control the rep from there. But it wasn't just Zach Sealer. It was the entire Dolphins defensive line in this game. I noted last week on the podcast how much of a big game Joe Mixon was set to have in this game. Well, the Dolphins held the Bengals rushing attack to 58 yards on 25 carries, a season low in both total and average. And it was Wilkins, Godshaw, John. Jenkins, all of these guys dominating up on that front line, and this came after we learned that Taco Charlton, Charles Harris, Avery Moss, all these guys were inactive, all of their best defensive ends on the roster, and granted, that's not a great list of defensive ends, but they were all inactive, but Kev, you mentioned this to me during the pregame when we saw that inactive list about the 2-4 alignment this defense ran against Philly with more beef in terms of the big defensive end. We talked to Zach Sealer postgame. He said he played a lot of that four technique, the big defensive end, and those guys normally play inside, whether it's a three-tech, two-tech, over-the-nose tackle. Is that kind of what we saw today, more 2-4 and big defensive ends off the edge? Yeah, that was what I thought we were going to see, and they actually mixed it up and did a lot of different stuff. They played a lot of 3-4 today, kind of in the traditional sense mm-hmm. of you know what everyone knows the 3-4 as. They did a lot of 3-2 personnel, but lined up in a 4-1 alignment. So I was pretty impressed by that. And I think, too, you know, Raekwon McMillan going on IR, they had Calvin Munson starting at middle linebacker. He played fairly well for a guy that's been here for, what, four or five days, you know, leading up to the game. Um, I thought they did a great job on the edge. Vince Beagle played a terrific game until he got hurt. Um, You noticed Van Ginkle. You noticed Eric Rowe coming up and playing around the line of scrimmage very well. So I was pretty impressed with their game plan today, despite not having those big guys like Moss and, and Taco. To me, it's a testament to two things they do well. Number one, you mentioned we in the press box the whole game. We were saying, who is that? We had to look at our rosters and check numbers. And for guys like me and Kev who obsess over this football team for 12 months a year, that's pretty rare. So for us to not know who a guy is, that happened with Calvin Munson making plays in that game. Same thing with Tay Hayes. But number two, it's a testament to how they're able to adapt their scheme on a weekly basis because you look at the fact that they did take those defensive ends out of the active roster. And those guys have played a lot this season. Season. And it's not just on the surface BS from Brian Flores, like we've heard with other coaches before. Joe Philbin talking about passer rating differential or whatever the hell his buzzword was. Adam Gaze talking about formatting his scheme to fit his players. We know that to be BS. Brian Flores made that message. He made that point and he's doing it. He's been a man of his word all the way across the board. Kevin, I can't say enough about Brian Flores. Yeah, he was awesome. And I think one of the really cool things that he talked about in the postgame presser was I can't remember who asked it, uh, the question to him, but he basically said, you know, the biggest thing is we have a lot to learn from this game, but it's good to be able to learn from a win. But he, he cited that players have a lot to learn situationally. And I think that kind of goes back to that Patriot way philosophy, you know, always knowing the right situation, always knowing which personnel to have on the field and doing your job. Um, you know, just really impressive to, to kind of be that up close and in the room with Coach Flo. Um, so, 
you know, I feel like we're in pretty good hands. And, and it was really cool to see how they put that game plan together. And, you know, one thing I just thought of, you know, Zach Taylor came from the Rams. They completely shut down that offense in the Super Bowl, and they shut down the Bengals' run game today. Obviously, they have a makeshift secondary, so that didn't go quite according to plan. You know, I guess it did for about three quarters, but then it went off track. So, yeah, really impressive job from from Coach Flo and the defense, especially in the uh, against the ground game. And then they held the Bengals to, what was it, 12 points of the first three quarters, yeah. and then the onslaught began late in that game. And we'll talk more about that and how Miami was able to overcome that adversity and how the Dolphins players felt about that. And we'll also touch on the impression we got from the locker room and just the jovial atmosphere that that was for a 4-11 and football team. It's fun to watch. I think this team is headed in the right direction. We'll talk more about that next. We'll come back and talk about the passing game with Ryan Fitzpatrick, his positive attitude, the effect that has on the team, as well as the entire passing game. We'll update the draft order. Plenty more to come here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But first, if you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passionate moments like the Miami Miracle, maybe like the Dolphins' overtime win over the Bengals. Not likely. Great for all fans. Go to breakingtea.com slash locked on, and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. Tap water, that drip way too foggy. These BBS is way awesome. Park CLS for baby mama. Drop to your death without warning. Get out the We're going to be recapping this game throughout the week here, coming to you live from South Florida, the wife and I, as well as Kevin, staying here in Fort Lauderdale. Got to say goodbye to Kevin tomorrow, but Monday night, me and the wife heading to a Miami Heat game. So if you guys are down there at the American Airlines Arena, or formerly named the AA Arena, let me know. We'll catch up, grab a beer, watch some hoops. But we're talking about Dolphins football. We'll have more sound from the locker room for you guys later this week. The Aftermath podcast, the All-22, all that fun stuff here covering this team around Christmas. Right now, though, I've got Kevin Dern. And Kev, we talked about the defensive schemes and stuff in Flores. And we'll circle back to Flores here in just one minute. But let's talk now about the passing game and the offensive side of the football. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the second highest passing yardage total in franchise history for one half in that first half when he threw for 245 yards, throwing the football all over the lot with a offensive line who can't run block. They have zero running game. Fitzpatrick led the team in rushing with 15 yards at the break on one carry. They rank dead last on pro football focus and pass blocking. And all of that stuff in mind, the Dolphins still find success. Three drives in that first half totaled 75 yards, 75 yards, and 87 yards for touchdowns. They had a couple other drives that didn't work out that way. They were going three and out otherwise or going the distance of the entire field. But when I watch Ryan Fitzpatrick, I see a quarterback who is improving in his 30, age 37 season throughout the course of the season and basically since the bye week, Kev, to me. This guy has been one of the top 10 or 12 quarterbacks, and people will scoff at that. They'll point to the statistics, the quarterback rating, or the fact that this team is 4-11. and 11. But I watch a guy who mitigates pressure. He erases free rushers regularly. He gets off of his spot and does that little shoulder roll where he gets out of the backside of the pocket. He throws with anticipation. I told Kev at one point during the game today on a little curl route where Isaiah Ford faked the flag route to the corner, came back to the curl, that Fitzpatrick throws the ball before he gets out of that break, and he uses the leverage of the cornerback to put the ball in the right location, on the right shoulder, on the right hip. I just can't say enough with how this guy is playing right now, Kevin, and to me, 
he's got to be the favorite to come into next season as the starter because he's only showing you growth in the offense. And what's to make us think he's not going to continue doing that into next season, plus the fact that this guy galvanizes the entire locker room. There is such an infectious energy inside that locker room, and it all starts with the quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he's he's definitely in a groove right now. And I guess one of the things that I appreciated seeing today, being at the stadium live, this is the first time I've seen him play live, um, was just how confident he is. Like, he's not afraid to sit there and, you know, go over his pre-snap read and figure out, oh, Devontae Parker's one-on-one on the backside. I'm just going to put it out there and let him go make a play. Like, you know, it's almost kind of like, and I hate to make this analogy, but it's kind of like Dan Marino-esque in a way. He's got that confidence right now in his game where, you know, he, he really just doesn't care if there's a turnover. He's going to put his guys in a position to make a play, and he lets them go do it. Um, I think his ball placement, for the most part, is has been really good. You know, he, he was able to hit Albert Wilson on that crosser today. We almost kind of got confused and thought it was Jakeem Grant because mm-hmm. Wilson was running full speed and didn't break stride at all. Um, you know, and he just makes plays happen like that. The, the deep pass to Devontae Parker, that was one of the wobbliest spirals I think I've ever seen. But, I mean, he took a monster shot when he got that ball off and, you know, just makes plays. He's out there having fun. Um, and, you know, it was really fun to see that. As far as him being the starter next year, I mean, I don't see why not. And I think at the very least, he's going to be a great mentor for, we'll just say for right now, whichever rookie quarterback they end up acquiring. And we'll talk more about Tua, Jordan Love, and the rest of the rookie class here in just one second. But as far as the entirety of Ryan Fitzpatrick's game goes, and you mentioned, you know, on time, on target, but also the two roughing the passer calls. This dude is so resilient, just gets popped over and over again. He's been getting hit behind this offensive line all year long. The pocket is a mess, but he still throws with anticipation, accuracy, timing, all that fun stuff. And a big part of that is the fact that he's had this impact on these younger guys in the locker room, like career years from Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki. And Gesicki is only 64 yards, I think it is, away from becoming the seventh receiver or seventh tight end rather in Dolphins franchise history to surpass the 600 yard mark in year number two after a lot of folks thought he might be a bust Devontae Parker goes over 1,000 yards for the first time in his NFL career after a 111 yard day on five receptions he's up around like 17 yards per catch this season both those guys were surrounded by reporters after the game in the locker room Gasicki spoke to us and he had a great quote I thought Kev I actually led my article up on LockedOnDolphins.com the recap article you guys can go check that out right now if you want to on LOD.com. Kasiki said, you know, the story about this game that people are going to say is that, oh, the Dolphins let this one slip or, or almost let this one slip. And he said, no, why can't the story be about how the Miami Dolphins fought through adversity and got into this position? And that really told me, Kev, about the way this team resonates Brian Flores' message, and they re- they reverberate the message from Flores, which gets trickled down through Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we saw this locker room today that was just off the charts excited about where they are, where they're going, and they believe in each other. And we'll come back to that here in just one second. I'm kind of getting on a tangent as we don't really have show notes for you guys here, just kind of playing it by ear. But Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki, let's, let's talk about those two guys and their performance. Gesicki goes 6 for 82 and two touchdowns. We mentioned Parker 5 for 111 and the touchdown. And I see these two guys who have made such strides in the areas of their game where they were weak. Parker, the off-season regiment to get healthy and to keep himself in shape, to get himself on the field for 16 games. Mike Kosicki, stronger through contact. He made that contested catch in the end zone for a touchdown. We didn't see that stuff last year, Kev, and these guys are producing like a receiving core that 
might be one of the better ones in the future going forward. Yeah, we were talking about that today um, with uh, Safadine of the Sun Sentinel and just trying to figure out, you know, who are kind of the odd guys out next year of this receiving core. You know, Albert Wilson, I think we were kind of both on the fence about him a couple weeks ago after today and, and really the last couple weeks seeing him be a part of it. You know, I think that's going to be one of the positions of strength on the entire roster next year. As far as Parker and Gesicki, um, I was really impressed with both of them today. I thought Gesicki was really physical, um, especially when trying to, you know, run his breaks on his routes. He's able to get off those and, and make plays. And Parker, I mean, what can you say? I mean, you know, he's having a great season, and, and really those 50-50 balls are more like 70-30 balls to him. He, he's playing really well right now. Love to see it. And the way they put the ball out there when they get those one-on-one matchups for those guys it really just inspires confidence throughout the roster. And Kevin mentioned Albert Wilson, and I talked about this last week on the podcast because I thought that Wilson in that Giants game looked healthier than he has all season long. We were there for training camp and saw this guy going off to the side of the field, doing some shadow boxing, riding the bikes. He just didn't move the right way, never actually participated in team drills. He was slow to start the season, kind of had to come out of the game and miss a few games because of that hip injury. And now it looks like he has the same jitterbug, the same quickness in short areas that makes him a special player in this offense. A guy that can align up next to the, to the quarterback, flanking him in the shotgun. It was him and Miles Gaskin at one point, which by the way, Miles Gaskin had what looked like a serious ankle injury in this game, but he looks like a good runner for this scheme, for the patient zone running scheme they want to run most of the time. But back to Albert Wilson, they threw some swing passes to him from the backfield. He took some jet sweep action. He makes the linebackers stay honest in terms of what their keys are and keeping their eyes on the right player. They chase him across the field on that jet sweep. And so this guy coming back next year, yeah, it might cost you nine, 10, 11 million dollars, whatever the heck that number is. It might cost you that, but my argument remains you don't owe him money beyond 2020, or maybe, Kev, maybe they restructure his contract, take away some of that money up front, put it in the back end, and give themselves some more flexibility the way they have with Jesse Davis's contract, with Jakeem Grant's contract, and latest Devontae Parker's contract. Do you think they could do something like that? Bring Wilson back? Do they cut him? What do you think? I think they definitely need to consider it, and the other factor there is, you know, we don't exactly know what Preston Williams' timetable for return is. So I think having as many people who are familiar with the offense as possible, especially if you're starting uh, Tua or Jordan Love or, you know, whatever the rookie quarterback ends up being, having those guys already knowing the offense is, is going to be able to help with that. And, you know, I think Wilson's really gotten his short area quickness back. He made some really nice jukes today. I think there was one. Uh, first down catch he had in I think it was either late first quarter or early second quarter where he faked a cut back inside then went back outside and managed to get across the sticks so um, I thought today was probably his best game of the season and they started giving him the ball on the jet sweep they had a couple of fakes where they would kind of do that cross action between he and Gaskin in the backfield so you know, maybe they have some some trick plays built off of that for either next week or next season. And you mentioned some trick plays. Christian Wilkins gets his first career touchdown on a reception in this game, leaking out into the flat from the fullback position. You guys remember how I told you I saw stuff in training camp I could not report on? Christian Wilkins ran that goal line package every single day from the fullback. They gave him the ball in the handoff. I had not seen him catch the football on a flat route, but that was fun to see. Had a chance to ask Christian Wilkins a game, po- a question post game, I should say. We'll talk about that here in just one second. 
second. We heard Kevin mention Tua and Jordan Love. We'll talk about the draft order and which player on this team did we see at dinner in downtown Fort Lauderdale. All of that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins, and at KevinMD4. One of the things I've learned most in the podcasting industry is how to set up a tease in the end of a segment and to lead into the next segment. We talked about a player we saw downtown in Fort Lauderdale. Going to tease that a little bit further for you guys here, but I will tell you what Christian Wilkins told me post-game. I walked by him. He had already done his media availability, and I didn't want to bother him, so I kind of asked him a question in passing, and I just thought, let's talk about his Clemson days when he busted out the splits after they won the national championship game. I think it was 2017 or 2016, one of those years. He did the splits on the podium post-game. I asked him, Christian, what's it going to take for us to get the splits out of you here in Miami? And he said a Super Bowl and I thought that was the perfect answer from the perfect character who is a cornerstone of this mm-hmm. franchise Kevin as we dubbed him in the law or in the press box in this game because Christian Wilkins is one of the cornerstones on this football team the coaching staff has talked about it had a really good day on Sunday another thing we talked about in the locker room with Mike Gesicki was the Dolphins fight and ability to play through that adversity I thought that Mike Gesicki showed growth both in his game and in the way he spoke to the media that was cool to see another thing I thought was awesome to see was Jesse Davis rocking a Seattle Mariners hat because he grew up in Washington State like yours true Truly. So we are both Mariners fans. We talked some Seattle Mariners rebuilding. There were so many takeaways. My favorite part was Zach Sealer talking about the coaching staff and the learning and the fact that they taught him the new schemes and the new techniques. Kevin, you have a favorite moment, and it comes from Mr. Mariner himself, Jesse Davis. Tell us about your favorite question and answer and the just kind of the general theme of what Jesse Davis told you. Yeah, so um, for those that don't know, I used to work for Anthony Munoz, the best offensive tackle ever to play. And I asked Jesse Davis, you know, are there guys that you kind of modeled your game after, you know, who inspired you or what did you learn from? And he didn't really have a specific answer. He, he mentioned Lane Johnson to us and his kick slide, but he said, I kind of take, you know, different things from different players and try them out in practice and figure out what works best for me. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And I think just that learning ability kind of speaks to what they're trying to get every player on the team to do. And that's learn their job and do their job to the best of their ability. So I thought that was a great answer from Jesse. And, and, you know, it's been a a trying season at right tackle, but, you know, he's had some nice moments. And he mentioned the uh, Eagles game several weeks ago about having to go up against uh, Brandon Graham and those guys. And, you know, he was like, that was kind of the moment for me where it was like, okay, you know, I can, I can do this. I can play tackle in the NFL. So I thought that was a pretty cool story he shared. And one of the things that I got accused of after the Jets game when I was down here last, after the Fins picked up their first win, and, and throughout the course of the season, and I'll probably get this more after this Bengals win because, Travis, this is a 1-14 Bengals team now. I get that, but I'm talking about the mentality and the, the, the mood of the locker room and the personalities in that locker room and the change that I've seen in the two games I was at this year, both winning locker rooms compared to the two games I saw last year, also both winning locker rooms. Just believe me when I say this to you guys, it's different. The things 
in this locker room I'm seeing this year are different. The mood around this team, the complete unequivocal buy-in, the unmitigated buy-in to this off to the scheme, to the system, to the program, to what Brian Flores is selling. It's just so exciting to see this team in a position where I believe they're going to get the most out of their roster and they're going to have these guys that maybe don't have the star power and they're going to get production out of them because the program and the coaching staff is is solid and the leaders and the teachers of this team are so solid. We talked to Cam Wolf on Saturday night downtown Fort Lauderdale and he was talking about how you do have to have a a coach who can drop schemes and he's offensively smart or defensively smart but the leadership aspect is so vital and that's what the Dolphins believe they have in Brian Flores a guy who leads the right way sets an example says what he means means what he says and I just think it's so much fun to watch now the victory does come at a cost, Kev, because we're talking now about picking fifth in the draft according to Tankathon. The Bengals clinch the first overall draft pick. Washington falls to 3-12 and with a chance to clinch the second pick if they lose next week. Then you have Detroit, who lost as well. They are 3-11-1, currently picking third. The Giants are 4-11. The Dolphins are 4-11. Miami, if they lose against New England, will pick no lower than fifth in the draft next year. They most likely wind up in that position unless Washington, Detroit, or the Giants find a way to get victory. Miami could climb as high as second if things work out. Most likely they'll pick fifth, maybe fourth, at best probably third. So they lose a little bit in the draft, Kev, but do you think that trade-off as far as what we've seen from the ability to grow and develop and a team who's won four games this year, and I think both you and I would agree that four wins before the Laramie Tunzel trade, before Xavier Howard goes on IR, before Minka Fitzpatrick gets traded, before all these guys, Bobby McCain, Rashad Jones, Preston Williams, on and on, down to Patrick Laird and Miles Gaskin at tailback, the issues, the adversity have been so intense, and yet still, they found a way to go three and five at home. Home. They've won four games on the season. They're growing. They're building. They're establishing guys that will be here in the future, like Zach Sealer, like Vince Beagle, like Andrew Van Ginkle. So many unknown names who have made a name for themselves this year for this Dolphins team. Maybe not for the casual fan, but for guys that watch the All-22 and see the impact of these guys, we have found gems on this roster. Kev, is that more important than picking second over fifth? Yeah, I believe so. And I know we kind of talked about this during the Adam Gase era about establishing culture. I think we all kind of realized that that was a, a facade and, and Gase didn't really ever do that. I think Brian Flores has taught this team how to win. And honestly, it's been a different group of players pretty much for all four of the wins. Yeah. You know, there's been so much change, especially the last several weeks. So, you know, I think, you know, it goes back to what Stephen Ross said in that Armando Salguera article a couple of weeks ago. It takes two things to win in the NFL, a coach and a quarterback. And he goes, he, Stephen Ross said, we have the coach. Now we have to figure out the quarterback. So to me, knowing that the Dolphins are in Coach Flores' hands, I think that's probably the most important thing that has happened this season. And, you know, if, if the plan really is to go get Tua, there's still a realistic shot he could be there at five. So I don't think losing those couple positions in the draft is really that detrimental to the team. I'd rather know how to win and and find the players later than the other way around. And if they don't get Tua at number five, they have the ammunition to trade up to go get him. If they don't want to do that, they can go get Jordan Love in the back end of the first round and develop him to be the quarterback of the future. If they don't want to do that, they can come back next year and target Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or whoever the hell they want to go up and get. I have the utmost faith in this coaching staff to identify their guy, bring him into the program, develop a plan for him, and then get success out of him 
that way because finally, for the first time in forever, we have a coaching staff with championship pedigree and the message and the skill set and the teaching ability to get the right guy they want and to get that guy developed to the point where they want him. So for me, I agree. All that stuff is way more important. We talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick and the message that he receives from Brian Flores and relays to his teammates, the respect that he commands in that huddle, in that locker room. A great little tidbit for you guys. I know some of you are not a fan of his because he basically single-handedly, as he continues to put up 300, 400-yard games, is costing Miami draft position, but he's playing at that high level, which again, I believe can be sustained into next season. He's playing at that high level, but his infectious personality is certainly having an impact. He comes running into the locker room. He's the last guy to come off the field into the locker room where the party has already ensued and the media well is sitting right there by the locker room. He comes running in with a shit-eating grin, just cheesing out of his mind and flashes us all of us a double thumbs up and runs into the locker room and we hear the place just explode. Everybody loves that guy. And you know what's even better? We go out to dinner in Fort Lauderdale on Sunday night after the game. We're walking down the busy street there on Los Olas Boulevard. And who do we see? Ryan Fitzpatrick out there checking out one of the bird scooters. I was hoping to see him get on one of those things, maybe do like a 360. I would expect nothing less from the Dolphins quarterback. But this trip in total has been so much fun, mostly because of all the fun stuff we've seen around this Dolphins football team and the experience on Sunday. And that's where I want to go ahead and leave this thing with you and give Kev hit the last word. What did you learn from this thing, this whole trip, this whole Dolphins game, your whole experience? Give us the last word here, Kev. Yeah, well, I feel like it's been a long time coming. We've known each other for over a decade now from message boards, probably almost 15 years now. And it was just an awesome trip, an awesome experience. I think the number one thing that is going to stick with me is that the Dolphins are in good hands with Brian Flores and there's a lot to be excited for coming up on the horizon, even as early as next off season. So um, seeing the whole thing, the whole process, the machine in action today, just kind of reinvigorated that belief that I have that we're in good hands with, with coach Flo. And I lied. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take the last word here because I, I agree with you. I think we could see more success next year than you might originally think. We're going to have a busy, busy offseason, of course. We'll have you guys covered on all that stuff here on Locked On Dolphins. And I, the reason I want to take the last word here, Kev, is because I did want to mention how important it was to come down here and meet you. You've, I've talked to you so many times about how... You, I would. I, there's nobody else I'd rather watch a football game with and to sit there in the press box behind some guys that maybe don't talk the X's and O's and the personnel packages and the, and the rush schemes and all the stuff. To sit there and do that with you was such a treat today. To be in the locker room for you to have those follow-up questions. You've never done this before and you acted like a 10-year veteran. Buddy, it was a fantastic weekend. I, I couldn't have had more fun doing it. And with yeah, that... Loved it. Loved he, it. I, he's got that, but I want to give him the exact last word. You guys know how we end the podcast here when Kevin comes on. And you know there's only one thing left to do when Kevin's on the podcast. That is to say goodnight, Kevin. Good night, Kevin. And with that, it is, in fact, time to say goodnight here from Fort Lauderdale. What a fantastic experience it was on Sunday at the Dolphins game. We'll be here until Thursday, my wife and I. So come catch up with us if you guys have anything going on. We'll love to meet all the fans we possibly can. But as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Winkful. NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for the aftermath edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. 
your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.